Okay, I'd like you, if you would, to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 now. 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> and we're thinking of the first fruits as a type or a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> first fruits is a type or picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even, as in, uh, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ that is coming... Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. And uh, just one other scripture that we might do for an opening reading. Uh, if you'd look with me, please, at uh, John 12. John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. John 12, 23 and 24. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man uh, should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it shall abide alone. But if it die, it shall bring forth much fruit. And again, God will bless those readings to us uh, as we consider the feast of first fruits as a picture of the resurrection. <clears throat> the barley harvest, which is the harvest that's been brought in uh, at this particular festival. It started out when grains of barley were put into the ground and died. Right? That's the process of getting a harvest is you put a grain of the, the crop, if you like, into the ground and when it goes in the ground, it, it dies. But then from that comes new life right that's the whole process if you like and so the Lord Jesus is seen as that grain of wheat that was planted into the ground and when he rose from the dead he became the first fruits of a great harvest of resurrected souls now I want to just I want to explain to you the protocol of this feast how it worked and we get this from Josephus and it's very fascinating he says, of course, the sheaf was of barley, because it's the barley harvest, and, and that until the ceremony was performed of the first fruits, they couldn't bring any harvest in, nor the harvest had to be done until the first fruits was done. So what they would do is they would mark out a sheaf beforehand. And what they would look for is the best specimen of the crop they could possibly find. Okay? So it was marked out beforehand. Then, once they'd marked the sheaf out, they would bind it. So they'd gather the sheaf together and they would bind it up and then they would cut it down. That all could not be done on the Sabbath because it would be considered work. So they did it on the day before the Sabbath, the Friday. Select out the best, bind it, cut it down, and then they would hide it in a safe place. 
until the morning after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, when they would pick it up and they would wave it before the Lord. You can already begin to see the beauty of this protocol. Couldn't be done on the Sabbath because it would be done considered work, so it was done on the Friday, and on the morning after the Sabbath it was waved before the Lord, and in between kept in a safe place until needed. And so, in what sense is it a picture of Christ? Well, we've already seen, 1 Corinthians says, Christ the firstfruits, the first and best that came out of the ground. A picture of the greater crop, the greater harvest that will come as a result of him. But let's look at some other scriptures that will kind of bear, uh, show this to us. Um, See, what happened is, we said they can't get to or touch or eat any of the harvest until the first fruits has been offered. They can't bring it in again. And, and again, the, the greater harvest of resurrected souls can't really happen until the first fruits happens. Christ the first fruits. Then those that are Christ that is coming. But look at Romans 11. Romans 11 and verse 16. Romans 11 verse 16 for he says if the first fruit be holy the lump is also holy and if the root be holy so are the branches so just that first bit if the first fruit be holy the lump is also holy in other words if God accepts the waving of the first fruit as holy then he's accepting the whole harvest. He's saying the whole harvest is holy based on the acceptance of the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 5, we don't want to just labor this passage, but it is very significant to us uh, in saying uh, this idea of the whole being affected by part. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. Again he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. Christ our Passover sacrifice for us. Keep the feast not with old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness with the unleavened bread of sincerity of truth. And so again he talks about that we might be a new lump. And so the idea is this. If the first fruits is holy, so is the lump. If Christ is accepted when he was resurrected and presented before the Father, we will be accepted on the basis of his acceptance. Our resurrection is based on his resurrection, isn't it? If God accepts the first fruits, he accepts the rest. So our security, in a sense, is based on his acceptance. That's why he says here in first, uh, in 23 of Leviticus, Uh, and uh, verse 11 he says and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it and so if God accepts that sheaf that is waved before the Lord its fulfillment is Christ in resurrection the first fruits from the dead God accepts him it's a guarantee that will be accepted too. The great truth of acceptance is brought before us. And I don't, you don't have to turn there, but you know this verse, Ephesians 1.6, it says, He has made us accepted in the beloved. What does that mean? 
It means our acceptance is based on Christ, right? We're accept because God accepted him, his death and his resurrection, he accepts us. Right? We're accepted in him. It's not anything that I've ever done that's made me acceptable before God. It's what Christ has done. My acceptance is in him. And and the fact that God has accepted him. So the great truth of acceptance is brought before us. And so after the Christ had become the Passover lamb, he's laid in the tomb. Well, and, and here's the irony. The very day that the priest went to wave the sheaf before the Lord, he had a problem that morning. You know what happened? Remember when Christ died? What happened to the veil of the temple? It was rent in two from the top to the bottom. He, could, he wouldn't dare go near, would he? How's he going to go near? It's not the Day of Atonement. He can't go anywhere near into the presence. So he, he's having a problem with the type because the type's not really needed <laughs> because the true wave sheaf has just risen and been presented before the Father as accepted. Christ's resurrection. And so the high priest... Uh, as he went in to attempt to do that couldn't because the veil was rent but earlier that day the true wave sheaf had been waved before the Lord the Lord had risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept so first fruits by necessity implies there's a greater harvest to follow the very fact that they selected the first fruits meant there was more out there right first fruits always assumes a greater harvest and there's going to be a day soon when the, the greater harvest will take place. Maybe some of you have loved ones and you've stood at their grave and you've watched as they were lowered into the ground. Just like that grain of wheat. But because the Lord Jesus was accepted in a coming day, that grave is going to be emptied with all the graves. I was, um, I've always, uh, one of the things I've enjoyed about going to Greenwood Hills over the years is that when you go to their family camps, invariably they have a trip to Gettysburg and I'm not a big, I love history and I like the Civil War history to some degree but you go to Gettysburg and one year I was there and I bought this book and it was called Christ in the Camp and it was a story of the revivals in the Confederate Army uh, during the Civil War and a lot of these kids as they were going into battle, they knew that the percentage of them that would die would be very high so they would hold gospel campaigns before the battle. And so many of these people were born again. And the Union forces, D.L. Moody used to have campaigns before the Union forces would go into the battle and preach the gospel. And as I look at the field of Gettysburg, my, my mind kind of works overtime sometimes, and I imagine what Gettysburg will be like on resurrection morning. Can you imagine the harvest of souls that were laid down there? Of course, they're absent with a body, present with the Lord, but their, their graves are going to give up those bodies. And what a sight that's going to be on that coming day. And again, because Christ the firstfruits, God accepted the firstfruits, there is going to be a greater harvest. Let me look again at 1 Corinthians 15 and just uh, another section there. 1 Corinthians 15:42 So also is the resurrection of the dead it's sown in corruption it's raised in incorruption sown in dishonor it's raised in glory it's sown in weakness it's raised in power it's sown in natural body it's raised a spiritual body there's a natural body there is a spiritual body 
And so there's the coming day when these bodies will be made new in a sense. They'll become bodies fitted for their new environment, for, for the heavenly sphere. And all because Christ the first fruits uh, was accepted before the Lord. Now, what we want to do is, again, just as we've traced leaven through the New Testament, we want to look at the New Testament again and think about first fruits. Because, again, we're going to see that this teaching back in Leviticus is going to affect our understanding of many New Testament passages. So look at Romans 8, for instance. Romans 8, 22 and 23. Romans 8, 22 and 23, it says this, <clears throat> For we know that the whole creation <clears throat> groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So in a sense, when we got saved, the, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit to us is the first fruits. There's going to be a complete harvest. In a sense, we, we now have a redeemed spirit trapped within an unredeemed body. Right? But we've got the first fruits. It's a guarantee of a greater harvest. There's a day coming when this old groaning, travailing body is going to be put aside and I will be completely redeemed, spirit, soul and body. Isn't that tremendous? I've got the first fruits. The Spirit of God has been given to the believer as a guarantee and a promise of a greater harvest. And so we can say with confidence, God has begun a good work in you. And he's going to perform it. And he's going to do it right. And so that day is going to come. Uh, when at the rapture or the redemption of the body, it will be changed like unto his glorious body. When we shall see him, and he, uh, see him and we shall see him as he is, but we'll also be like him. And that's going to be a tremendous day, isn't it? Uh, I, I, one of my favorite hymns. And is it so? I shall be like thy son. Yes, it is so. Why? I've got the first fruits. There's a guarantee of a greater harvest. That's good news. I'm thankful for that. And then another aspect is believers as first fruits. Look at uh, Romans 16. And of course, I'm making you go all over the Bible. And that's good because it's a way of getting way around the Bible and getting to know it. But Romans 16, verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. That's Priscilla and Aquila again. Remember, we talked about them, strangers and pilgrims. Salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, as you know, the house of Stephanus, that is the firstfruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And then James 1 verse 18. All of these are speaking as believers, as first fruits. James chapter 1 verse 18. Of his own will begat he us that by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits 
of his creatures. And so the idea is this, that the first convert in a, a new area was viewed as a promise of a greater harvest. And so the evangelists of a former day, they would go and work an area. In fact, I just heard this recently about a, uh, an Indian uh, uh, assembly in Andhra Pradesh that goes into villages and keeps preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel and they'll not quit until they get a first fruits in that village. And then they'll have this assurance that God's going to do more and they've seen assemblies planted all over Andhra Pradesh with this attitude of going in for the first fruits. And, and so it, the idea is this. For the, the, Paul recognized and was encouraged first fruits is a guarantee. There's more to come. There's a bigger harvest. And so they would continue on looking for, to God for the first fruits. And as a great story, a biography, if you ever get a chance to read it, uh, it's, it's the biography of a man called William Gibson Sloan, and it's called The Fisherman of the Pharaohs. Uh, anybody ever heard of the Faroe Islands? It's a principality of Denmark. It's way up in the northern Atlantic somewhere. And uh, anyway, uh, these, uh, uh, this missionary was a Scottish missionary, and uh, he, he went commended from Scotland to the Faroe Islands and uh, he labored there for a full term as a missionary and didn't see a single soul saved and he was discouraged and he came back on furlough and spent uh, time on furlough and he was praying Lord you want me to go back and he felt the Lord would have him go back he went for a second term second term labored again for another four years not a single soul saved goes back again really just dissolute do I quit encouraged by the thought of first fruits he goes back his third term on the field, he gets one man to come to know Christ through his preaching. This one man, when they baptized him in an old fisherman's hut there in the Faroe Islands, the, the, the com community came out and they tried to disrupt the baptism by banging on the, the sides of the, the hut to disturb everything. This one convert turned out to be a powerful evangelist. And by the time it was all over, 50% of the population of the Faroe Islands is in assembly fellowship. Based on the first fruits, right? Keep going till you see the first fruits. Believe God for a greater harvest. And he saw that happen. <clears throat> Look at the book of Revelation now. And I want you to see something in Revelation 2. Revelation chapter 7. Of course, you have this description in Revelation 7 of the 144,000 that um, were sealed by God and preserved. And uh, it's uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And... Um, Let's, I won't bother reading chapter 7 because you, you know the story, right? That the, They can't bring judgment until the, the 144,000 are sealed. But I'd like you to look at chapter 14 now where you've got another parenthetical passage that looks at this same group of men but it tells us something about them in verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women for they are virgins. They, these are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes these were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And the idea is this, that in the tribulation period, the darkest period in human history, the first fruits 
are the 144,000. Now when you read chapter 7, you will see that the latter part of chapter 7, after describing the 144,000, he describes a great multitude from every tribe and people and tongue and nation and people. And the question is, who are these? Where did they come from? These are they that came out of the great tribulation. In other words, these were people that were saved in the tribulation. God had set apart a first fruits, 144,000, and a great harvest would come as a result of the saving of the first fruits. So again, you've got that principle of first fruits found throughout the scriptures. There's some thought, and I just throw this out to you, that the Apostle Paul, he spoke about himself as being one born out of due time. And we have historically wondered, is that looking back to the twelve? Did he think that he should be one of the twelve? My thought is no. Is it looking forward to the 144,000? Because if you think about it, 144,000... How are they going to be saved? We really don't know, but it seems like it's a supernatural act of God, doesn't it? Because the church is raptured, right? And yet God, before he brings the judgment on the earth, seals these 144,000. Is Paul a prototype of the 144,000? Now if he is, can you imagine what damage 144,000 Apostle Pauls could do? See, the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, right? And they're, they're, they're absolutely set apart for God, right? There's no question about these guys. Uh, they, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They're committed. And, and what an amazing impact 144,000 Apostle Pauls could have in the world. And so, first fruits, harvest. By the way, don't give me this last day syndrome nonsense that we don't expect anybody to get saved today because we're living in the last days. Because if God is going to save a great number that nobody can number in the tribulation period, the darkest period in human history, then why would he not save people now? Right? <laughs> Sometimes we've got this defeatist mentality, you know, uh, and, and it's not true. All over the world, people are coming to Christ. You know, the fastest church growth rate in the world right now is in Iran. People are coming to Christ in droves in Iran. God is working in this world. Just because we may not see so much in South Florida doesn't mean that God is not working at this time in the world. And he could work here too, but could it be that our unbelief is stopping him? Because we're, well, we're in the last days and we don't expect anybody to get saved anyway. Maybe God meets us at our expectation level. So, very clearly, the principle of first fruits is significance. Uh, it, it is significant in the Word of God, in the way it's used. And I think, it should, again, these things should affect us um, in terms of our ministry. We'll, are we looking for first fruits? Um, and uh, believing God that from the first fruits will come a greater harvest. Uh, it certainly seemed to affect the saints of God. Now, again, just want to... Uh, mentioned that as we've looked at these festivals so far and we've looked at three of them and what we could say is this that in a sense historically speaking Christ honored the Passover by becoming our Passover for us of course there's big questions how did Christ keep the Passover and become the Passover and of course there's a lot of issues with that but I want to just make a suggestion again comes to us from people like Josephus that said that just because of the sheer number of Jews 
and the number of lambs that were necessitated killing, that in order to accommodate that, what the um, the, the, the high priests and the Pharisees had done was they said that there would be two Passover days uh, there would be a Passover for those who were outside of Jerusalem that would take place um, what would be on the Thursday and then on the Friday there would be that for those that were within Jerusalem so the Lord Jesus coming from Galilee would have remembered and kept the Passover with his disciples on the Thursday and he would have become the Passover for those within Jerusalem on the Passover so that's what uh, Josephus would say and I found that a very helpful explanation so anyway Christ honored the Passover by becoming Christ our Passover <coughs> on um, the resurrection day in a sense, God the Father honored first fruits by rising Christ or raising Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit is now going to honor the feast of Pentecost by descending on the waiting church on the day of Pentecost. So here, in a sense, you've got the Godhead endorsing these festivals. And should I say this? We honor the feast of unleavened bread by feeding on Christ and putting away leaven from our lives so these all, all the, again what we say one day feasts great spiritual significance seven day feasts the outcome okay the outcome of Christ dying Christ rising uh, the, the whole acceptance should cause us to live the life that is unleavened right that should affect us and of course the spirit of God is the one who would help us in that in that way so, as we think about the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, um, I want to just read again from Leviticus 23, and um, we're just going to get this started. I think we, we may have to finish this um, on uh, Lord's Day morning, and then we'll have a real challenge on Lord's Day evening, because we'll have three festivals to cover in one session, but I think we'll manage. Don't worry. We'll get there. <clears throat> Leviticus 23, verse 15 through 25. We could read the whole thing, but we'll just read to verse 25. It says, You shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even to the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days. So that's where we get Pentecost, because Penta is 50 uh, in Greek. Uh, 50 days, and you shall offer a new meal offering unto the Lord you shall bring out your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals they shall be a fine flour they'll be bacon with leaven they are the first fruits unto the Lord and you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year one young bullock two rams they shall be for a burnt offering to the Lord with their meal offering and their drink offering even an offering made by fire of sweet savour to the Lord then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest and you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation to you you shall do no servile 
work therein, you shall be, uh, there shall be a statute for you forever throughout your dwellings, throughout your generations. Maybe we'll stop there for our reading. So, um, Feast of Pentecost. Fulfillment of it, as we know, is in Acts chapter 2. So let's just turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And um, I'm told, again, by competent Greek scholars, that in Acts 2 verse 1, it reads this way, and, the day, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I've been told that you could translate that when the day of Pentecost was in the process of being fulfilled. They were all with one accord in one place. And so the idea is that the, the type of the Old Testament festival is now being fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. So, as we think about this, what was the salient feature of this festival? Well, what is interesting about it is that there, it's a day when a new meal offering is being presented before the Lord. And so we see that in verse 16, uh, even the morrow after the Sabbath shall you number 50 days and you shall offer a new meal offering unto the Lord. Now, we know from the offerings that the original meal offering spoke of the perfect humanity of Christ, right? It was made with fine flour, uh, no coarseness, because there's no coarseness in him, uh, and so it, it speaks of his humanity. It's a bloodless sacrifice. That's why it speaks of his life. Okay, there's no death connected with it. So it's the perfect life of the Lord Jesus. But now there's a new meal offering that is introduced. Uh, the first one speaks of the Lord Jesus. This new meal offering is speaking of his bride, the church. Something new is being introduced 50 days uh, after the resurrection. Something new is to be introduced. Now, Again, it's interesting that what's been introduced is this new meal offering, but what is the offering consisting of? What, what is this made up of? Verse 17 tells us this offering is, comprises two, you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves. So two loaves to wave before the Lord. Okay, so it's two, but it's one, it's considered to be one offering. You shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They'll be a fine flour. They'll be baked with leaven. They're the first fruits unto the Lord. And so this is what they're to offer. It's, it's, we've already said, verse 16, it's a new meal offering, but there's two parts to it, right? Two loaves that are waved before the Lord, fine flour baked with leaven. So what's the picture? The amazing thing about the day of Pentecost is this, that God introduced something new, the church. It clearly is the beginning of the church. Peter, in Acts 11, when he talks about what happened to Cornelius' household when they believed the gospel and the Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues, he says, the same thing happened to them as happened to us at the beginning. Okay? Acts, let, let's just look at that, just because this is an important scripture. When did the church begin? Look at Acts 11, uh, just to confirm this. So, in, in other words, Peter's mind, the beginning was not when he was called um, by the Lord Jesus uh, to be his disciple. 
on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't his commissioning, um, but it was... um, Let me see if I can find this. I know it's Acts chapter 11. 15, 15, thank you. It says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. That's a key verse. So the, the church began in Acts chapter 2. Now that's important. In fact, the Lord Jesus in Matthew 16 prophesied of the church, didn't he? Based on, kind of Matthew is interesting in the sense that his rejection comes in chapter 12 where they say that the miracles he did, he did them in the power of Satan and the, the, instead of by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so chapter 13 he symbolically goes out of the house and faces the sea. And the idea is he's turned his back on the house of Israel and he's looking to the Gentiles. And he begins to teach in parables. Change has taken place. Chapter 16, Peter confesses, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And then the Lord Jesus says, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against. First mention. So the church begins in Acts chapter 2. And God introduces something new. And what is new about the church is this, that God takes two previously divided groups, Jew and Gentile, and he makes of two one new man. Right? Isn't that the miracle of it all? That, that here we are, I remember being in an, uh, an assembly in Northern Ireland, and uh, our next door neighbor there was a Jewish man, a child of Abraham. I used to love to hear him pray, a godly man. But he, a Gentile, pagan background, my cat would, was remembering the Lord with a converted Jew, and he had no advantage in the presence of God more than I did. Right? We're, we're on the same level. One in Christ. What a tremendous thing. Out of two previously divided people, Jews and Gentiles, the Gentiles were known as the dogs as far as the Jews were concerned, and they were not thinking pedigree mutts here. I mean, they're thinking mongrels, right? That's what they are. And yet now, out of two, he makes one. He introduces something new. Two, of course, in Scripture implies weakness of testimony. And, and we are, you know, the minimum, where two or three are gathered is the minimum, right? Two or three witnesses. So in a very still sense, in weakness, God is introducing something new. It's to testify to Christ in his absence. And yet it's marred by sin. It's fine flour, but it's baked with leaven. And it's an appropriate picture of the church, right? Is there still sin in the church? Yes. But when you bake leaven, it arrests the power of the yeast. Right? In other words, yeah, we're still sinning, but not like we used to. Isn't that true? Like before you were saved, you couldn't help but sin. Right? It was, and, and so that, that sinfulness has been arrested by coming to Christ. And it's not as, as, as powerful as it once was. Uh, I'm not what I should be, but I'm certainly not what I would be if I hadn't come to Christ. You wouldn't want to listen to me if I hadn't come to Christ. Right? Different things have changed. So God is introducing something new. Jew and Gentile, there's still leaven in the church. Don't look for perfection in the church because if you do, you're going to be disappointed um, because there's still sin in the church. And there will be until Christ, the, the church, finally arrives in heaven. Right now, it's a mixed condition of the believers. 
Good and bad in conflict, right? That's the, the battle each one of us face, right? Between the two natures. It's also the first fruits unto the Lord. And again, remember, we said the first fruits, uh, uh, Christ was the first fruits. It was the, big, it was the barley harvest. Now we've got the wheat harvest. And again, uh, the idea is the first and best belongs to the Lord. And in God's mind now, the first and best that's down here on this earth is his bride. And it belongs to him. And it's precious to him. And so, <clears throat> the introduction of something new on the day of Pentecost. And of course, uh, we want to just say something about this. And maybe I'm going to speak more about it on Sunday morning. But one of the things that happened on the day of Pentecost, we, we, we talk about the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where, in a sense, some amazing things. We were placed into the body of Christ... And the Holy Spirit was placed into us. So there's amazing things happened on that day. Um, sometimes I, I think we don't really fully understand everything that happened to you the day you got saved. In fact, I think it would overwhelm you if you really began to sit down and think of all the things that really happened the day you got saved. Placed into the body of Christ. You're now part of the body and the bride of Christ. Spirit of God placed within you. But another thing happened is that these disciples were really transformed by the Spirit who was given to them. Because we've got 120 men in an upper room, or men and women in an upper room, and the, the most confident spokesman of the group had recently, out of fear of the mob, denied the Lord with oaths and cursings. So, humanly speaking, this rabble, 120 in this upper room, how are they ever going to evangelize the world when the one who's the, the most confident of the lot has just bottled under the pressure of the mob and denied the Lord? How are they ever going to do this? And yet the Lord had said to them, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And these men and women experienced not only being placed into the body of Christ and the Spirit of God being placed into them, but they experienced for the first time being filled with the Holy Ghost. And it gave them a tremendous boldness. And I want to just say this just to get us kind of thinking and juices flowing. But I do believe that one of the great tragedies of the church of the Lord Jesus in the last number of years is that because of charismatic error, we have become scared to death of the Holy Spirit. And the pendulum has swung to the other extreme where what we teach on the Holy Spirit usually in our meetings is what we don't believe about the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in speaking in tongues. We don't believe in the gift of... Can I ask you, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Don't you think it's time we had some positive ministry on the Spirit of God? Because I think one of the great tragedies of the day in which we live is that quite often we have New Testament principles, but we're incredibly lacking New Testament power. And the reason is we have rejected the source of power because we're scared 
of the Spirit of God. And these people experienced the fullness of the Spirit and it enabled them to turn the world upside down. And if we're going to do anything for God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And so let's not throw, as it were, the baby out with the bathwater. No, I don't want to swing from the chandeliers. I don't want to be speaking gobbledygooch. I have no interest in that. But I do want power from God to see lives transformed through the preaching of the word of God, don't you? And we need that. So we'll we'll look at that, Lord willing, um, on Lord's Day morning. But I realize there's a limit to your endurance. And uh, keeping these feasts straight in our minds is not an easy thing. But I hope you can see at least what we've seen tonight is that what God wants us to do, feed on Christ, remove leaven from our lives, rejoice in the security we have, the fact that the first fruits Jesus Christ has been accepted is a guarantee of our coming acceptance in his presence. We also need to be good stewards, giving the first and best to the Lord. And we also need to recognize we're part of something new and exciting. God taking two previously divided groups and making from the twain, as the King James says, one new man. And this is something new, but it's something that is pleasing to God. It's a first fruits for him. The church. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. So let's pray. Father, we just give thanks for our time together this evening. And we pray that we might all leave here encouraged because of all we have in the Lord Jesus. Father, sometimes we, we confess that we lose the wonder of it all. Of all that happened to us the day that we trusted the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior. Lord, would you thrill us afresh with all that he brought us into. And we'll give you the glory in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.